James uh, th- chapter 3, and um, we're going to go through verses 1 through 12. Uh, as you'll remember, Dad went basically the first half, and uh, we'll um, get a running start like we usually do and talk about that. You know, the first, um, uh, one of the first things he said last time was, if you're going to, if you're going to, uh, got his notes here. If you are God's child, act like it. That's basically how chapter 2 ended up. And now we have this uh, section where James is going to talk about uh, the tongue. And he starts off with this example, and he's, it's almost like a, a, a warm-up to his topic. He said, basically, now take teachers, for example, is what he says in verse 1. Not many of you should be teachers because, you know, you're going to be judged and um, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, this example is a single teacher can affect a large crowd, for good or for bad, of course. Um, a teacher can motivate, can educate, can encourage, can persuade, can criticize even. Uh, all of that from one single mouth. And this is setting us up for the theme for the whole chapter that there is something small, there's something powerful, there's something hard to control, and something that's prone to inconsistency, this is a dangerous thing, right? If we had, if there was such an object that was small, powerful, difficult to control, inconsistent, and powerful, it's kind of dangerous, right? So as I was thinking about this, I like, I like Westerns. I, mean, I don't know who doesn't like Westerns, but I really like Westerns. And I remember um, one of the themes that that showed up in more than a few movies was uh, this big tension point when somebody was transporting nitroglycerin. Have you seen these, right? So you've got some elaborate wagon with ropes and, and this tray of fragile bottles of nitroglycerin and it's going over rocky ground and the thing is swaying back and forth because it was very unstable, very powerful. And if it got hit just right, the whole thing would explode. That's kind of like our tongue, right? <laughs> that is the craziness. So let's go, and we're going to just look at this in outline form. And I want you to uh, underline or circle or something like that uh, some key uh, uh, words, uh, nouns, where the tongue is compared to these things. And I've done that um, in my Bible. You see, I've got a series of circles here. So we're going to go through and look at this. Uh, we'll start with uh, verse 3 for the, our circling, but uh, beginning in verse 1, I'll just read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged by greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. So there's our topic sentence. If you don't stumble by what you say, then you're perfect. Um, as if we didn't need more examples of why we're not perfect, here we go. Um, this is the hardest thing to control, is your mouth. All right, so beginning verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So circle bits. I guess you could circle horses, but circle bits. We put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us and we guide their whole bodies as well. 
Look at ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. So again, you could either circle ships or rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. So we have a bit, small part of the whole harness of a horse that can control the horse. We have a rudder, a small part that can control the ship. Verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So here we have this comparison where we've got small things that can control bigger things. Small things that can control bigger things. Latter part of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, I get the concept of a spark, so I guess you could circle small fire. And it says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea and creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So we've got, and again, I get, I'm not sure, small fire is referring to forest. I mean, as referring to the tongue, but this forest is, or the forest fire, is something big that's hard to control. And in verse seven, we also have these beasts and birds and reptiles. I've I circled beast and bird on in my translation because these are things that are also big and powerful, but also hard to control. So our second pair of things, forest fires and beasts and so forth, things that are powerful, but things that are hard to control. Things that are powerful, but things that are hard to control. And then look down to verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people. We who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things should not be. Does a spring, I circled spring, pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, I circled fig tree, my brothers bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, Lots of pictures, lots of examples from everyday life that we can relate to even now about the tongue. So our first pair, small things that can control big things. Our second pair, things that are difficult to tame but are powerful. And if you look at a spring and a fig tree, uh, things that could be good or bad, things that could produce either one thing or another thing, things that can be good or bad. So let's walk through, and we're going to focus on the latter half since Daddy covered the other part last week. So picking up with uh, the latter part of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now this is a big old hairy verse. Um, it's hard to even understand the wording. As I was reading um, some of the commentators, they have a really hard time getting the words, deciding what phrase modifies which phrase and so forth. But one of the, one of the um, key phrases that they look out there is, which is kind of interesting, it says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. So what does that really mean? How is the tongue a world of unrighteousness? It's, it's not an easy thing to come up with, but um, I think the, the simplest way to, to look at it is everything that you can imagine that's evil can probably somehow be connected to the mouth, to the tongue. Someone who says, go do this. Someone who <coughs> speaks a plan of evil. Someone who is gossiping, criticizing, motivating other people to do bad things. I mean, all manner of evilness can land right here. Uh, very powerful. Um, the probably most heinous person we could think of in modern times, you know, if you want to think of someone who's inherently evil, we all come up with Hitler, right? Could Hitler have coerced an entire country to behave the way it did by force alone? No. One man would have a really hard time taking care of one man. Maybe an exceptional man could maybe take on two or three if you're Chuck Norris. <laughs> maybe five. Hitler accomplished the things for evil that he accomplished by giving speeches, by writing up stuff, by talking. Couldn't have been done any other way. And this was before social media. This is before the internet. Word of mouth. Motivation. The, a world of, of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. What does that mean? The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Uh, I'm not sure, except it sounds really bad. Our mouth is right in the center of our face. It is truly set there among our members, and it can affect everything. If you know somebody is a liar, Does it pretty much stain that whole person? Does it pretty much color everything else that they say or do? How long in a person's life 
would it take to undo someone, the, the events maybe that someone set into course by maybe lying? Just how, just how good would you have to be and for how long would you have to be before it kind of canceled it out? Maybe never. Maybe never. Maybe sooner than that, depending on the grace of the party that was offended. Praise God, he can heal some things, right? Um, I don't know of many adulterous relationships that didn't start off with a lie, but yet God has healed some of those. I think only God can do that, really. But the point is, it can stain the whole body for a very, very long time. And the thing about stains, what's the big deal about stains? They don't come out. That's why they're stains, right? When Ms. Donnell was in charge of our laundry room upstairs, there was an entire cupboard devoted to stain removers, <laughs> many of which were devoted to stains that I had put on things. But because they're stains, they were still there. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. I think the last phrase is pretty self-explanatory. Um, uh, one of the best, easiest, most effective, most dramatic ways that, that people can either consciously or unconsciously participate in Satan's plan is, is with the tongue. With the tongue. Yes? One of the saddest things, I think, is when a, a parent can so degrade a child with a remark sure. at a young age that it will stay, stay with them for the rest of their life, and they will come to believe it. So there is power, especially based on the relationship of a person. So Snell says one of the most powerful things is if a parent criticizes their children in, in a destructive way. Um, certainly there's reproof, correction, all those things, but, but you, can really, you can really damage the psyche there if it's not in the right context. That's exactly true. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I don't know. Some verses don't need a lot of explanation. All these things can be tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You can't help but think of a picture of a snake. Daddy probably wouldn't have mentioned snakes. He doesn't like snakes. But the thing about snakes is they have this, well, obviously they're full of poison, the venomous ones, but they just seem so unpredictable, right? Is it going to strike? Is it not going to strike? What's up? You know, it's it kind of, it's, it's a restless evil. It's a restless evil. Um, you know, 
if the net effect of studying this for the last for the next two weeks if there's no other effect than to make me just not talk as much that's probably was a good two weeks right uh, I've, I've I'm learning somewhat late that sometimes the best thing is just to shut up that I don't really have to have an opinion about everything it's very liberating actually in a way when you <laughs> just look at it that way I, you don't have to have a comment I can just take that burden off of myself you know it's it's it like I said it's somewhat liberating all right we've looked at the how a small thing can control a big thing how something can be very powerful and very dangerous and this concept of this restless serpent leads into verse 9 where we talk about the inconsistency the in the lack of I don't know what the unpredictability what's what's the right word it's unpredictable there we go the unpredictable nature of the tongue verse 9 with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God there are commentators who think this is especially speaking to church leaders and pastors and just like that parental relationship where you've got someone who is truly looking up to their parent that parent is on a pedestal and how horrible it can feel when criticism comes from that direction for better or worse we put our spiritual leaders on a pedestal and if criticism comes in the wrong way in the wrong spirit or bad teaching or bad motivation or bad instruction all those things then horrible and especially cursing people who are made in the likeness of God I can't help but think about this idiot preacher out in Kansas who thinks he's doing God a favor by criticizing people all the time about their military service or all that sort of thing. You, you know this guy I'm talking about. Uh, full of hate. Does he really think he's doing God a favor? Blessing and cursing. It just, it should not be. Especially if you're in that spiritual leadership role. We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Daddy's good with uh, these little stories, and Mom was so kind to share some of his notes that he sent along. He, he truly got feeling really bad. Nine o'clock? So, he says, this blessing and cursing, he says, you guys may have heard this story. I think it's great. This can happen just as easily in a family setting. After a long Sunday morning service, a family sat down to eat lunch. The father bowed his head and led the children in the blessing. He thanked the Lord for the food, for the day, for their home. And shortly after saying amen, he proceeded to fuss about the preacher, the church, his job. Nothing but complaints poured from his lips. And following all that, his little daughter tapped him on the shoulder and said, Daddy, did God hear you when you said the blessing? 
And switching to his theological authority mode, Dad answered, Yes, darling, he did. Well, asked the daughter, Did God hear you when you fussed right after you prayed? Well, uh, yes, honey, I suppose he did. Then Daddy, she said, Which one did God believe? <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Blessing and cursing. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig, answering his own question, can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives? or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Before I quote this, I want to check reference because I, oh, I get it wrong half the time. I think um, I think he quoted this last week, but it bears repeating. Matthew 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. This is, of course, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think it might be King James that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, you got a bucket of water? It sloshes out? It sloshes out what's in the bucket. It sloshes out the water. Out of the overflow, it's just, it's just going to... It's just going to flow out. We've seen people where, no matter what the circumstance, they are just so filled with the Spirit that truly whatever flows out from them is almost always good. But then there are the rest of us where not so much. Not so much. How do we, how do we deal with all this? Um, we have to talk about this concept of power, the wrong application of power, a little bit. Um, the balance between um, seeking a position of power for the good reasons or the bad reasons, that is, that is tough. Because some of the attractiveness of a position of power is the power. So the kind of people that are attracted to it are people who are looking for some power. Which sometimes is the opposite kind of person that you want there, right? The servant leader is rarer than diamonds. The person who kind of backs into power simply because they kind of have to because they're compelled by something in their heart. They just... They just have to it's not that they want it that's a rare thing 
the, a servant leader. But you can definitely tell which person it is by what they say, that's for sure. All of this is talking about self-control, right? Which really, for us humans, can't ever just be self-control, right? We have to have spirit control to have any hope of taming our tongue. And so let's go to the classic passage on that, Philippians chapter 4. another point I was going to make. There we go. Well, I was looking for my... No, it's not, it's not Philippians. No, I just, that was another point I was going to make. I've totally lost that passage. It is Bible drill time. I, I've lost it. I don't know. I'll go on to my next point. Maybe it'll come back to me. As it turns out, my next points were going to be to hear from you. I've got three questions. Some of you may have already touched on this. I had three questions. So I want examples from you guys. When has a word from someone hurt you? When has someone given you a word that truly convicted you, a good word of correction? And who has an example of when a word has encouraged you? So who's got examples? of either of those three. Well, this hospice nurse came one day and we were talking about end of life issues and all that and he said, if you hadn't taken as good a care of your mother as you had, she wouldn't be here now. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing different than anybody else would. And he said, well, she feels loved and she feels secure and there's no reason for her to leave. That was really, really encouraging. Oh. Great encouragement there. Anybody else? After my brother-in-law died at 31 from a heart attack, um, my sister w was with our, my family, and she wasn't speaking to me, but she said, I just want all of us in our family to uh, be together in heaven. And I just thought she was I mean, the Holy Spirit just came out of her mouth and convicted me like I was terrible. 
Yeah. Anybody else? It slips out before you know it. Things slip out before you know it. That's true. Daddy talked last time about the, the old phrase, sticks and stones. That, that really, the words really do hurt. Um, one of the things that uh, Carolina's Healthcare does is they started last year, if anybody writes a comment about uh, their physician, um, it gets posted online. And unless something's truly in error, like maybe they wrote it about the wrong person or something, mm -hmm. um, they all get posted. That's what they call uh, transparency. <laughs> and I can get a lot of very gracious comments, but the one I look at, are the ones I look at, are the ones that aren't kind. I don't know why that is but those are the ones that you think about. Somebody who was truly, um, truly uninformed about the facts, I have a very clear conscience about this particular case, but uh, they were in pain, having lost a loved one but uh, I got a card in the mail, and uh, it looked like a nice, cheery card. Dear Dr. Morris, I hope this new year brings, started off really nicely. So dear Dr. Morris, I hope this new year brings the insight into the care of your patients such that you won't miss a cancer next time. Even though it was untrue, and I had, a, like I said, a very clear conscience about things that had been done. That kind of hurt. Um, and I had never even met this person. But it hurt. So I hope that I'll learn from that so just kind of like our things that get published, that went into my folder with the other more positive comments I've been pleased to get, but that went in there too. Because I think it does serve as a reminder to me that I need to be really careful with the things I say and the really things I do. Um, as, as we all do, right? I was thinking about this last week when Dad was talking. My sixth grade English teacher was Alma Bankston. Taught us a poem. You guys may have heard this. Do you know the poem, the Carl Sandburn poem called The Primer Lesson? You probably heard it. I, I was pretty promised. I had to look it up, but I remembered most of it. It says, look out how you use proud words. When you let proud words go, it is not easy to call them back. 
They wear long boots, hard boots. They walk off proud. They can't hear you calling. Look out how you use proud words. The title of that poem is called The Primer Lesson. It's like the first thing you have to learn is the primer, right? And uh, I think that is uh, a good way to start, a good way to end. Maybe I'll find my other point next week. <laughs> um, words that hurt, let's pray that we don't say them. Words that encourage or maybe convict in the right way, let's deliver them graciously. And words that uh, lift up and speak truth and give grace, let's speak those generously. Father, let us do all of those things with the words that you give us. Control us at the heart level so that we don't have to worry so much about the rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.